All right, hello everybody. We are back once again. It is I, Ultra, aka Jake, joined by my forever partner in crime, becoming new best friend, an all-around great person, slash did not punch anybody in the face at the last Houston Dynamo game, Darby. Darby, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, and I didn't have to punch anybody in the face at the last Dynamo game, which is pretty big, being that it was a a Dallas uh, match, Texas Derby. El Capitan that is an accomplishment I think that we can all be proud of. I mean, anytime we don't punch people in the face, that is a good thing, at least in most soccer circles. Leave the ambiguity there for others to read in between the lines. But yeah, aside from all that, what's new? Catch me up on your life. I mean, life is busy, as always, and um, life is crazy. If I, I will say ahead of time i don't even know what sounds will come out of my house at this point i have new neighbors i haven't had neighbors in like a decade and now i've got <laughs> a bunch of neighbors with a bunch of dogs and a bunch of kids and so yeah who who knows what you'll hear today yeah so a lot's happened uh since we've done a podcast so this is going to kind of be an all over hectic you know disaster so to speak so buckle up kids um because we are gonna cover a lot and we're just gonna go until we cover it all whether that's an hour or who knows so right so first out the gate i think uh i think a good place to start would be talking about our favorite national team the men obviously and who we love and adore and uh you know we're coming in to getting real close, actually, to that second round of World Cup qualifying. Three games that you absolutely feel like you have to win. I mean, you we we did we did get five was it five, five points I think out of the first go through, and you know if you had told me ahead of time that we would have gotten five points out of that, I would have settled and been like, all right, that's agreeable, not great, but. Two road matches and probably draws there and a win in Canada at home. You know, that's that seems like an agreeable path. However, and this is the big however, um, it did not go at all according to plan. Um, I think arguably, I still think looking back on it now, however many weeks later, that the first half in Honduras was the worst half that the U.S. men's national team has played in history that i've been alive and definitely in recent memory arguably up there for some of the worst play we've ever seen only to come out at halftime play a formation that the team knows with people in the right positions and then literally smoke honduras i mean it wasn't even close they literally just ran them out of the building which brings us back to the original question we had when we did this the first time which is who takes the blame for that and how did we get here? You know, we we gave the women a lot of flack, especially with Blacko, for not having a lot of smart decision making when it came to tactics. And we said, you know, Blacko really should lose his job over that, which I still think 100% should happen. But we're going to get to the women in a minute. 
I think that for me, looking at the three matches we have, I thought the tactics for all of them were terrible. And if you can go out and put up four goals, was four or five? I lost track. It was so many. Um, that big of a number in Honduras in a road match and a half, my question becomes, where was this the entire World Cup qualifying so far? And why haven't we been using it? So, Darby, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. We we did five the hard way, right? We we ended up with five points out of that. Absolutely not the way that we needed to get it done. And 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 yeah, we're we're looking ahead into this next little round here. Just not, you know, despite the fact that that we got a, a reasonable number of points, we're we're not looking at a squad that looks ready. We're looking at a squad that looks lucky. And if there's one thing that you can say about the the men, their luck never, it, it never lasts, right? There's, there's ways to come into World Cup qualifying that uh, leave everybody with a sense of, of confidence and, and hopeful optimism. And then there's where we are right now. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a slog and I'm going to need to see a lot in the opening match before, before I feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's really where we're at, right? Because, you know, if we... This is going to be beating a dead horse, but if it needs to be said, like, if the team can put up four goals and a half in that formation in Honduras, if they don't trot that formation out against Jamaica at home on October 7th, we're going to have fighting words. I mean, it's 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 that simple. Fighting words will be had. Because like, there's there's no excuse for me. There's literally there is there is no viable excuse how you don't run that run that back right. Like four goals on the road of an incredibly hard place to play. That's scientifically known as statistically a hard place to play. And you you look at this and you just you 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 have a lot of questions. Um, I don't feel confident at all. In fact. Zero zero one one four to one. You know, had they had they come out and dominated that entire game in Honduras, I would feel a lot more confident going into these next three matches because I could write off the first two games as okay, World Cup jitters. You know, young team. Okay, cool. Like I could I could feasibly see that argument, right? But what I can't see is a ridiculous formation in El Salvador, a ridiculous formation in USA Canada. A first half against Honduras that was disgusting at best, and I mean tragic at at worst. Um, and then a second half that made everybody go, "Well, where the fuck has this been?" And I just I look back at those matches, and I just I do not sit in a place where I comfortably feel like I can say this is a team that's going to qualify right now. Do I think they will qualify? I think it would be very hard not to. But I don't feel confident about it right now. I don't. And I think that ultimately the lack of tactical decision making speaks for itself because it really was a tale of two halves. And there was also like, if we're going to be honest about it, there was also a lot of questionable character decisions that were made off the field underneath of Greg Berhalter. And I think that that is something that needs to be addressed as well. Like when you 
are the guy in charge of a young team, you have to know how to handle that, right? These are younger players. They're going to want to do stupid things. If somebody sneaks out before a World Cup qualifier, ultimately that falls partly on your leadership for not hammering home enough how important these matches are. And I'm sure people will be like, well, these are grown adults and they can make their own decisions. But of course they can. No one's saying they can't. But part of your job at the the helm of the ship is to drive home to these younger guys that, yes, the temptation to go out in wherever is going to be incredibly high. However, this is a business trip, right? This is your job. You are here to get a job accomplished and you will be much happier celebrating in Qatar, quote unquote, then you will be watching it from home. And that is something that I feel is a managerial issue because you don't hear about other teams, even teams that are in the same group of young age as as the U.S. is right now having issues with this. And when they have, the coach has usually not made it through to the end. Um, so that, that's just what I think. I think that if we're going to be taken seriously, there needs to be a very serious conversation had about whether Greg Berhalter is the right guy to lead this team. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is always a little bit of space for consideration. You know, when, when I sit down and think about it, I, I have this crazy thought, like, what if there was some shadow, somebody like making, you know, the ghost calls and, and have screwed it up this entire time. And finally they let Greg Berhalter loose in the second half against Honduras and, he did what he wanted to do all along, but but ultimately, I don't think that that's the way that the U.S. Uh, structures its situation. And and yeah, he's it, there's a lesson to be learned, right? And when you're coaching a team at the level that he is coaching a team, you can't say, "Oh gosh, well, you know, we flew by the seat of our pants, but we made it. I've really learned my lesson." And I'll do better next time. But like, that's, that doesn't cut it at this level. And if you've learned your lesson, go, go show us that you'll continue to learn it coaching somewhere else and maybe get somebody who's going to get it right. But then who is that person really? (laughs) As As of right now, Jamaica, which is our first game coming back on Thursday, October 10th, or sorry, Not Thursday, October 10th. Thursday, October 7th. Jamaica has yet to win in this entire debacle we call the the octagonal now. R.I.P. the hex. Um, And they have scored two goals. Twice. Two, Two goals the entire tournament. They have given up six. They have yet to win. They have gotten a draw. That first draw was... You know, whatever you want to call it, right? Okay, cool. The draw was against Costa Rica. And to be fair, to Jamaica's credit, to Jamaica's credit, they probably should have also gotten a draw against Mexico. I will 100% give them credit for that. However, and this is the however, that match is at home. It is at Q2 Stadium, which I believe is in Austin. Yes, I believe. Yes. And so it's going to be a raucous crowd. It'll be the first World Cup qualifier there. Anything less than a two or three goal victory, in my opinion, 
against Jamaica in the World Cup qualifier coming home is a sign that the the change needs to happen immediately. Because if they draw or God forbid lose that game to Jamaica, that the plug needs to be pulled immediately. Like I don't I don't care if he is dating the or married or whatever. I don't to the president of the federation. I don't care. Man's gotta go. Like that simple. Like, you know, if if that opening match is not a convincing win and not like, oh, we got a lucky bounce. Like, if they do not play like they did in that second half against Honduras, we're going to have a problem. Now, and here's the thing. Like, I'll be honest. If they play like they did in that second half against Honduras and they end up getting a draw, but it's a draw that felt like they absolutely outplayed Jamaica and just got a couple unlucky bounces, I can live with that. However, it needs to be in a two date. The U.S. has not put a full performance in in this in this World Cup qualifying cycle. They have not played a full game that has left me feeling good. So if they go up against Jamaica, arguably the weakest team in the Hex, or not the Hex, the Oct right now, if they do not win that game convincingly, it's time to go. Because this is a stretch where we really need to win all three because your next three are home against Mexico, on the road in Jamaica, and home against El Salvador. And unfortunately for us, we have a backloaded schedule. All of our really hard games are towards the end where points are going to be real hard to come by. So home against Jamaica, on the road against Panama, home against Costa Rica, you realistically need at least six points out of that. Like, And that's a real conservative estimate. You probably need like nine. You probably need to win all three of them. So that's my thought on the men. Um, now let's pivot a little bit. And talk about our other favorite national team, the women. And oh boy, where do we want to start here? So let's start with the obvious one. If you haven't been living under a rock, you know that the U.S. women just uh, attempted to play massacres against Paraguay, a team that had no business being their first friendlies out the gate. And, uh, you know, they quite obviously won those matches by a lot um and good for them yay uh here's the thing and darby can tell you this because i texted darby and i think we both should have to say sentiment i watched those games and i just didn't give a shit like i was like all right great way to way to schedule the c league team from you know paraguay which is not a knock on them but let's Let's be honest here. Like you just got your asses smoked in in the Olympics, and part of the reason was because you didn't schedule any heavy competition. And then you're telling me that your first games back out the gate, we're going to show you that we're ready to go. Are Paraguay and Paraguay to <laughs> a Paraguay, a, a footballing nation that's known historically for being a super strong women's team across. Many millennia, you know, that Paraguay, you know, the one that's won six World Cups, that Paraguay, you know, like champion bastions of women's sports. No, 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 that they aren't. Uh, oh, well, my bad. Anyways, Paraguay, you know, the team that hasn't done anything at all in the history of their women's federation, that Paraguay. So, yes, good for us for beating them by like touchdown scores. That's fantastic. And I'm real glad that we didn't lose to Paraguay because then Black Co really wouldn't have had a job. But I just, I don't, 
I watched those matches and felt literally nothing. I was like, okay, but let's be real here. The entire staff switched the pitch could score 14 against Paraguay. Like schedule somebody that's relevant and show us that you've figured shit out, which begs the next question. The tactics that were used worked pretty well, but weren't any of the things that were used in the Olympics. So like, it's almost like my man Vlad and Greg are out here having a who can fuck up more contest and are trying to see who can get fired first. It's almost like they bet a case of beer on it. And I just, I don't know anymore. So, so let's start there. Darby, what were your thoughts on the Paraguay exhibitions? I don't even want to call them friendlies because it was a massacre. So we'll call them an exhibition. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. Um, the the second one, even I didn't even get to watch live. We were doing our own uh, kid soccer situation, but just keeping up with it on my phone was just like goal, 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 and and ultimately, it's I, I I really think that it was just a big cockstroke for Carly Lloyd. We just we needed something that was going to get her retired and out the door. With a great big final scoreline and no chance of her being injured, and um, you know they they looked across the the vast swaths of uh, opportunities and said, "Who can we really just make uh, make an example of? Just just really come out and make it easy for us and an easy win." And and honestly, the way that they played. And and the way that Vlatko has been tweaking, um, tweaking their formations and, and tactics to death, I, I think they had to dig that deep to find a surefire win. It was like we need a surefire win. How deep do we have to go? And apparently, you have to dig all the way to Paraguay. Um, and it and it did what it was meant to do. Carly got a few more points in her in her bank of all time scoring whatever. And um, and now she gets to retire and go be uh, the the godly wife that she was always meant to be, I suppose. Um, but but yeah, it was it. They were not exciting. You watched it. It played out as expected, and um, and yeah, it 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 did not evoke any passion or any excitement at all for me either. Right, right. So Paraguay, currently ranked 50th in the Women's World Ranking behind such wonderful countries as Papua New Guinea and Myanmar and Uzbekistan. I mean, you know, all very well-known footballing nations. I just, I honestly, at that point, I feel like you should have just gone all the way to the bottom of the rankings and just invited, you know, uh, Turks and Caicos Island. I mean, I would have watched the hell out of that. I mean, you're telling me you wouldn't be down for a 47 to, to nothing thrashing of Turks and Caicos Island? I mean, I would, or Aruba. I mean, I would. Let's go, fuck it. Let's go to Aruba. We can take everybody there, do a do a whole trip. I just, yeah. To me, it was very much so a sham that made no sense. And great, I guess Carly Lloyd can still score at a bajillion years old against Paraguay, which, wonderful for her, but like... You know what this showed me? Because it is important when they played the younger players, you know, the thing they should have done in the Olympics, it's almost as if they played better. And 
So yeah, um, I don't, I I really don't have much to say on the Paraguay front other than I literally could have given two shits about either game, and I tried. I really tried. Like I wanted to to watch, but after they went up like four nothing, I'm like, there's no reason to watch this because it doesn't tell me anything about us. Like it doesn't. It doesn't show me anything about what this team has learned, if they've learned anything, because it's just giving them a false sense of confidence that they beat Paraguay, which I'm super happy they did, because again, if they didn't, we would have been hearing hearing the major alarms, but like, why not bring in a Germany or a Netherlands or a France or anybody? Um... And, you know, their next two matches are against South Korea, which is better than Paraguay. I mean, they're at least ranked in the top 20. They're ranked number 18. So, like, South Korea is not exactly a pushover like Paraguay is, which, again, no offense to the Paraguayan Football Federation, but maybe give your women's team more funding and they won't be pushovers. Uh, But, like, at least Korea is... Uh, I don't know. Um, They exist. So, and their federation gives them some money. But to me, I would have rather have said, you know what? We got smoked at the Olympics. Let's play somebody like an Australia or even like a Canada. Bring Canada's ass in here. You know, play them in a home and home series in Canada, in US as a friendly and show the world that what happened in the Olympics was a fluke and that you were still should be taken seriously. And then I would have been able to give you some credit. But for beating Paraguay, you get a congratulations. You didn't lose to Paraguay. And call me when you're ready to do something relevant. Um, so speaking of things that are relevant, though, there was something rather important that did. I'm going to sit up for this that did more or less happen with the U.S. Soccer Federation, and that is, and this is a very ongoing story, so bear with us here because there are a lot of details to cover, and we don't even know if we have them all, but according to multiple outlets, the U.S. Soccer Federation offered, at least on paper, the same collective bargaining deal, contracts and everything, to both the men and the women. Now, in theory, this would be a good thing unless you actually dig into all that that means. And then you get a lot of unsure question marks uh, because the end goal here was not to have a collective bargaining agreement for the men and the women, but rather to have one collective bargaining agreement that was shared between the men and the women under one agreement, meaning that, yes, there was shared prize money, but not in a sense that you would want. And again, this is still very fluid, but one of the things would have included like a 100% prize split of all money, which isn't exactly what we were going for of equal pay, I have to believe, because of the women bringing $60 million, and the men bring in nothing that I don't believe the men should be given 60, some of that 60 million, right? Like that is not to me, at least what equal pay means. What equal pay means is that there's a base salary for everybody, regardless of how much prize money you win. 
And then any prize money you win, you know, you split out however. But I don't I don't believe that doing it that way makes sense. Now, I will say that if the men bring in $120 million in prize money, let's just say by some ungodly, unrealistic chance that all of the other teams at the World Cup just don't show up. They all break their legs in a horrible leg-breaking accident because Ultra took a crowbar to them, right? And they're all ineligible to play. And it just so happened that all their backup reserve players also got hit by a crowbar in a crowbar scheme for the ages. You know, and let's just say the U.S. was the only team there, so they win by forfeit. Okay, great, wonderful. In this scenario, I think that the men are entitled to keep everything that they win up until the point that the women can no longer catch them. Meaning that if the prize money cap that the women can legally bring in is $60 million, that the $60 million that the men bring in should be kept for them to split amongst themselves. But anything over that $60 million, 100% should be shared. And here's why I say it that way. Because equal pay to me means that you split things equally. It does not mean that you get rewarded for things that you don't do. So if the women win $60 million in this scenario and the men bring in nothing because they didn't finish in any prizes that brought in the money or whatever, then they should not be entitled to the $60 million that the women brought in because they had every opportunity to bring in that much and then some. Whereas if the men bring in over an amount that the women could not have possibly reached, I think that number needs to be capped at whatever the women did bring in. So if the women won $45 million that year, then after the men win $45 million, anything they win over that is a split 50-50 between the federations. To me, that's equal pay because then you're actually being paid a baseline salary, good, across the board, equal. Yes, we like that. And then any prize money you bring in is being split along a system that makes sense. Those are my thoughts. Darby, what do you, what do you think? I like it. I mean, we legitimately, we did not have a conversation about preferences or plans before we started recording. And, and I had very similar thoughts. You know, there's, there's a point where, you know, every team has to have the opportunity to earn its own money. But then there is a point where the teams have got to start sharing that money because ultimately it is, it is one team, right? It is the men's and the women's or the men's and the not men's. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I like it. It's a good plan. Let's do that. Call somebody, write it down. <laughs> Trademark. I don't know. Well, it just, to me, it makes the most logical sense because look, I, I hate to say this, but I understand the argument for saying, well, why should we pay anybody, men or women, you know, for stuff that they haven't earned? And you know what? Cool. Totally fine argument if that's what you believe. Here's my counter. And here's why I say it this way. If the women cannot physically earn mathematically the same amount as the men, if it's not possible, then it can't ever be equal unless you equal the playing field. And the only way to do that is say, all right, the women this year are competing in one tournament. The tournament prize money is, let's just make it easy and say it's $10 million. The men are also competing in that same tournament. Their prize money 
for winning is $70 million. Okay, two easy numbers. Under the current system, each team would just keep what they win and so on and so forth and move on. That's where we get the discrepancy of unequal pay because no matter how good the women are, they cannot in that cycle of a year catch the men if they both finish in the same position. It is mathematically not possible. However, if we put into this in the place this plan, then we say, okay, the women won their tournament. Cool. That's $10 million in prize money. All right. And then let's just say the men, they win their tournament and they get the $70 million in prize money. Well, now we have a $60 million discrepancy, right? So what you would do is say, all right, men, in order to keep this equal, we're going to cap $10 million, 100% for you. You keep that, not a problem. Like you are now on equal footing with the men. We have a $60 million surplus that we're going to give $30 million each to each of the teams because you both won and finished respectively in your same spot. And I don't even care. And let's just say the men finished third. The point is that you cap it at whatever the lesser of the two teams' earnings possibilities are. And then anything that's won by either team over that number is then split. So, and even if this was reversed, let's just say the women like had a mathematical point of where they were making more money than the men, which has happened in the last couple of years in terms of prize money. Then you would look at the men's team and say, okay, look, here is what our men's team did up to a reasonable point, meaning that if the men are historically bad as they have been, that you're not going to put their number at zero. And then you split the revenue because equal pay, as people have been saying, is not just a one-way street. And the women have said that they want the men to be equal too. This is not an equal pay for me and only me. This is an equal pay for us, right? And the only way to ensure that is to, at the end of the year, look at the numbers, see who ended where, who ended with what, what the mathematical maximum amount the teams could have earned was, put a cap down, and then split it evenly. And I know that seems like a lot of word mumbo jumbo for math, but when you really look at this, in a written down way, it is a hundred percent a foolproof way to guarantee equality until FIFA decides that women are people and should be paid on an equal playing field as men. But we're probably still a couple generations away from that because FIFA sucks ass. Um, so like, you know, that's just my opinion. Other things to note in this agreement were that um there was a lot of like real gray area that wasn't really fleshed out and that the women rightfully were like, well, what the fuck does this mean? And the men were kind of like, well, hang on a minute. What the fuck does this mean? Uh, because as only U.S. soccer can do, they found a way to piss off everybody. Uh, now, for the record, the women did decline this offer because they thought that the offer wasn't what they were going for with equal pay. And in a, in actuality, under this offer, the women would have taken a pay cut, which is quite funny when you think about it, because I don't, it wasn't a pay cut that equaled the men. It was a rather than bringing you up to where we pay the men, we're going to cut the men's money and lower your money, and then you'll both be getting paid the same. And that was not what they were going for or what anybody was going for. And... Yeah, so all I would say 
is that if you are unfamiliar with the protocols or the inner workings of what deal was offered, I strongly encourage you to do some of your own research before determining which side looks like an asshole in this situation. Because a lot of men, you know, and you know, the ones, the ones who have never gotten laid, you know, th those men, um, they got real moody because uh, they were like, oh, well, women screaming for equal pay and they got offered an equal. No, 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 no. They got offered a shitty contract, which if it was offered to the men's team, those same exact men would have been appalled at. So, like, all I would say is if you're out there and you're listening to this and you have small dick syndrome and you're ready to rip our head off, all I would say is just do your own research and actually pick up, you know, a reading implement for once and figure out what's actually been offered before diving headfirst and screaming for something you have no idea what you're talking about. Because there are a lot of complex inner workings within contract negotiations like this one, and it's something that we kind of just have to wait and see how it goes. Right. It's it's. So, yeah, uh, if you're hearing this, this is going to sound a little weird, like in the middle of my last mid-sentence, and... We'll just inform you that Ultra's been going through some shit. It's been a it's been a rough couple days. We're not gonna go into a ton of details, but his doctor called, like right in the middle there. Like so so how do I put this? My doctor for those of you most those of you know that I'm non binary. It's very it's very well documented. I use he, him, she, her, they, them pronouns. But um my doctor called literally in the middle of this podcast and I literally told Darby mid-sentence, I'm like, hey, I need to take this. So when it suddenly cuts out and you start hearing this explanation, that is that is why you are going to hear uh, my lovely voice. Um, so with that in mind, as I was saying back to our conversation, yeah. So if you are um, dealing with small dick syndrome, SDS, and you feel like you need to scream about something into the ether, this ain't it. So, like, maybe go in, I don't know, bitch about something else. And I'll pass the torch to Darby now to let Darby get her two cents in on this. Absolutely. I mean, miss us with that entire bullshit, please. And take it elsewhere. And, and yeah, I mean, you can't, you, you can't bitch about the women saying no to a contract that basically said, look, we understand that you want to get paid as well as the men do. And as much as we would like that, we're just going to pay the men worse and call that fair. Right? Like that's, that's not how any of this works. It's that that's a, a gross oversimplification of, of how it ultimately was, was working out. But, but yeah, by and large, they were like, we don't want to pay you any better. So what if we just pay other people worse? And, and yeah, that's, that's the beauty of, of contract negotiations, right? Like they have the opportunity to look at what's been presented to them and say, no, say, no, thank you. Like keep trying back to the drawing board. Um, and, and, and to really be a group of people that despite the fact that they have been, marginalized for years and years and years and years against a 
a men's team that failed to perform at their level, they were willing to say, look, that's not fair either. Um, let's, let's actually do this correctly. And so generally I applaud them. Um, you know, I, I still have my, my individual issues with individual players, but generally speaking, I'm really excited that the women, um, are, are stepping up and continuing the, the conversation so that it's not the easy fix. It's the right fix. Yeah. Ain't that the truth. So that is what we have to say about the men at this point. Um, unrelated, unrelated, let's now switch to the wonderful world of CONCACAF. Hang on. As I was saying, yes. All right. Wonderful of CONCACAF. So if you have been living under a rock, first and foremost, congratulations. I mean, that is genuinely impressive. And please share with the rest of us because I'd like to crawl under a rock myself. But if you are new to the world, um, you may have missed that Liga MX and MLS kind of have a hard on for each other and not like in a cute way, um, but like in a this is kind of getting weird, guys. Like maybe you should explore other options kind of way. Um, so much so that they completely forgot about the Canadian Premier League, which is hilarious. But yes, so starting in, I believe, 2023, we are going to have a revamped Leagues Cup, which is essentially Champions League for just Mexico and the U.S. But here's the kicker. Everybody makes it. And both Liga MX and MLS have decided in their infinite wisdom, of which they have plenty, that they are going to just stop their seasons in, I think, August or October or something for an entire month and play this League's Cup whatever um, for a tournament with, and I'm quoting here, substantial prize money. And this goes in hand in hand. Stay with me here with the now revamped Champions League in which the League's Cup will be used for qualifying purposes in addition to the winner of Liga MX and the U.S. Open Cup and the winner of MLS and also one team from the Canadian Premier League. And all of this is a big jumbled way to say we want your money, essentially. Um, but... Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Like, I'm actually, so I'm excited for the League's Cup because I think it could be fun in theory to see all the teams in MLS and all the teams in Liga MX playing in a tournament for substantial prize money, which, well, I will assume will just be $1. Um, but, you know, I think I think that it has the potential, if done right, to be quite exciting. I also think that I don't trust Don Garber or Liga MX or a CONCACAF as far as I can throw them to do this right. Um, looking at you, Copa America Centenario. Um, so I just think that there's so many things. Uh, there's so many things that could go wrong that it just seems to me like it's going to be a clusterfuck because because here's the thing and I, i'm going to quote to you how mls described it the 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 paraphrasing of the description from mls was oh yeah you got to compete you can't send the bad team because you don't want to have a window where you're not playing and you lose a bunch of games going into the final stretch of mls to which my response is cuz that's stopped 
people in MLS from caring about things before. I mean, we have a we have an entire tournament where MLS teams just don't give a shit. They just don't. They send their C teams in the U.S. Open Cup and lose the teams like Christos FC or whatever from Maryland. And I'm not salty or nothing about losing to an amateur team in the U.S. Open Cup, D.C. United. But I may be a little salty about losing to an amateur team in the U.S. Open Cup. All I'm saying is, is that this seems like it's going to be botched in so many proportions. And for the record, the current League's Cup that we have, nobody cares about. I think I've watched maybe one game since they started this League's Cup, and that was because it was on TV by accident. I did not choose willingly to watch it. It just happened to be the only thing on, and I was too sick and lazy to change it or give a shit. Which is a fancy way of saying, I really hope this works. Um. So, so like, yeah, Darby, what are your thoughts on our brand new Kumbaya of Liga MX, I guess? I mean, as, as a person who is a soccer fan in the most Southern part of the United States, I have to say that I actually do love playing Liga MX teams. The commute to Liga MX is so much more reasonable for my team personally than say trying to get to Canada and come on Toronto. Let's let's say that forgetting about Canada in this instance is an absolute gift because doing this in the middle of summer and trying to haul people around from Canada to play down here in the South ever is just terrifying. It's hot as balls down here, like hot, hot, hot and humid um, and yeah, no, nobody who's been playing in Canada for the most part wants that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, like, like we had talked about before, before the podcast even started, if something like this happened and they're just going to take the month off, like it's going to be really, really good for the teams that don't have to play in the heat, really, really bad for the teams that do. Um, I, I mean, it's just, there's, there's so many ways that it could go right and wrong. Um, I do love Liga MX actually, but I don't necessarily think that this is the right way to go about it. Um, there's, there's got to be a better way. This is not it. <laughs> yeah. And here, here's, here's my thing, right? So anybody who follows Switch the Pitch knows that we have a super fan. I believe his name is Antonio. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate Antonio. I know that he can be a lot, but I appreciate him. I think he's great. I think he's fantastic. Um, And I think that they are just very passionate about the content we put out. And I think we need more people like that. I'm almost positive that if nothing else comes out of this, the pure trash talk that Darby, I, and Antonio will have between Liga MX and MLS games will suffice to keep the entire internet entertained. Because, Antonio, I will promise you right here on this podcast that when this thing happens in 2020-whatever, we will do a special podcast series that month just covering the Liga MX MLS games, and we will do a whole thing about it like we did for the World Cup, and it's going to be a whole thing. And uh, 
you know, we'll do it. I will, I will commit right now to doing it with Darby and we will, we will cover this thing a hundred percent with, with the pure authenticity and a hundred percent professionalism that we bring to this podcast, which is always at a hundred. But that being said, that being said, um, I just think that this is, uh, this, they, they released a half-baked plan. It was like, hey, we're going to do this. And everyone was like, that's kind of cool. How are you going to do it? And they're like, we'll get back to you at some point. And we're like, when? And they're like, no more questions. It was very much, it was very much like the magic eight ball of plans. It was a try again later, or it was almost like a, we have this look. Here, you know when you're in school, right? You're in school and you have that group project and like three of your four partners are doing work. And then that one fourth partner is just like, oh yeah, I'm definitely doing something. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I'll have it ready when it comes time to present. And then it comes time to present and they don't have their part ready. That's what this feels like. It feels like we were presented with three fourths of the project and we're getting ready to walk up in front of the classroom, and uh, we uh, we don't have the fourth part, which just so happens to be the most crucially important for the success of the project. So, like, sure, MLS and and Liga MX, I'm all for the bromance. And for the record, MLS's policy of we're doing it this way so that we can increase competitiveness with Liga MX and we want to be competitive. That's all good. Like all of that. Wonderful. Like, sure. You want to compete with good teams. You got to play good teams. Take note. U.S. Women's National Team. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But yes, if you want to compete with good teams, you have to play good teams, even when you are a good team. Um, and so in that essence, that is good. That is that is in its theory Good. More competitive games with Liga MX. Good, in theory. Um, in practice, right now, I think that this is not it yet without all the details. Um, as far as your comment about Canada, oh no, Darby, Canada's still involved. We've got the Canadian MLS teams. That's they true. just cut out they just cut out the Canadian Premier League, who they didn't feel was important enough to invite, which makes me very sad. Um, but that's okay. That's okay because at some point the CPL will be given uh will be given their respect that they truly deserve. I know it's gonna happen at some point. I can feel it. Forge FC in Hamilton. They're 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 my boys. I love them. Shout out to Forge FC. You're the real MVPs. <laughs> um, so like, you know. That's right. Your man out here dropping hardcore Canadian Premier League knowledge up on this bitch in the Switch to Pitch podcast. Get wrecked. Get wrecked. So, uh, yeah. Um, any closing thoughts on that topic before we jump to our next topic? Just just another ridiculous metaphor. In in addition to the the group project, you know, fourth fourth player that hasn't done anything leaping in with something in the very last minute. I also am reminded of the vibes like the, the dare dice. You ever played the dare dice game <laughs> where like you've got the little dice and it's like, okay, so we're going to do a, you know, and you roll the dice. And it's like, Oh, 
uh, soccer tournament with rolling the dice uh, in in the middle of summer, like uh, <laughs> oh, you know, in the bedroom. Oh wait, no, that's the that's the wrong set of dice. Like, um, but but yeah, like right. we're do it in the middle of summer. We're gonna do it this way. Um, we're taking the whole month off. Yeah, it's it's very much like an almost their plan. Maybe they will get to an actual plan that that looks like something that that's going to be entertaining. But yeah, and and this may be I I don't know where we're headed after this, but this may be a segue into uh, one of our next conversations, which is to say that it's very simple to get to get insular and to look at what's going to be good for this this club this. Uh, federation this whatever at, at, at any group in time and say well we need to make more money well here's the thing that we can do to make more money and it's very easy to say well we'll just do that then but whenever you look at soccer on a whole you know the the thing about soccer being a global game and the thing about soccer being uh something that has uh national teams something that has club teams all of those different things is every single thing that you do on a large scale for one league or one team does have ripple effects out to wider things. So yes, just like this uh, MLS league MX um, madness that they're wanting to try to launch. um, It's, it's the same thing whenever you look at world cup, you know, sure world cup, you know, FIFA sits down and says, what do we need to do? We need to make things more equitable. Uh, How do we do that? Make it every two years. Um, it's 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 a theory. It it works on paper in one particular situation, but when you start to look at that theory and the ripple effects that it's going to have across the entire game of soccer across the entire world, is where where things start to get a little jumbled up. And yes, it may be a simple uh, solution to a simple problem, um, but if you're causing more problems on the world stage than you're solving with uh, this one particular idea, then it's time to go back to the drawing board and evaluate your priorities because um, the, this, this iteration of leagues cup and that iteration of uh, an every two year world cup, uh, neither of those are the solutions that you are looking for because it's, it's not good for the game on a whole. For sure. So, very good segue into our last final topic for tonight. And that, of course, is, if you remember on this podcast a couple weeks ago, we talked about the bat wing, backroom theory, bat shit nut job, clearly made up by people who don't understand how their game works, theory of making a World Cup every two years. Uh, Well, as it turns out, there are enough nut jobs on the planet to have made this a legitimate push um and it's being championed by our world and savior of the game arson wenger who is a total piece of shit but that is a total different conversation altogether um that being said he's the man preaching the gospels of the two every two year world cup you know my man no so um to catch you up They had a meeting with former players who are no longer involved, whose only way to make money is by having this every two years. And they had a conversation with like former staffers and managers. And they were all like, yeah, 
good idea every two years. Uh, and then immediately, the European Club Association, the uh, UEFA, Comnibol, uh, the entire global players union for the players internationally across the entire planet. Let me just say that again. The entire players union for every active player in the entire world came out and said, fuck this. Um, they were all opposed. Um, and then CONCACAF and the CAF came out and were like, I guess, sure, maybe. Uh, let's hear what you have to say. Money, good. Give us the money. And then uh, Oceana was just happy to be at the table. So, like, that's that's kind of where we're at, right? It's very much a split, split group. Now, as we told you last time, this proposal was brought up by the very ethically renowned Saudi Arabia, who definitely is only interested in improving the equity of the game across the globe and is 100% the reason why they are doing this and not at all money. So we don't have to worry about that. It's coming from a place of purely wanting to make the game more equal. So let's just put the money aside for right now. But if it was hypothetically about money, my bet would be that it would come from Saudi Arabia. So uh, it was proposed by Saudi Arabia under the guise of let's make it more equal so that everybody can play more games and we can make more money. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, let's just not tell people that part. Um, what ended up happening was essentially that we've got a proposal and now FIFA was like, we want to hear from you, the fans, the clubs, the yada yada. And the clubs have come out and said, well, this is not a genuine process. You're not actually listening to us. You're just putting on a sham. And to give you guys an idea on timetable, they have to vote on this by this time next year. Because the calendar for, for 2024, like they need to vote on this by next year to set the calendar for the future eight years, however long it's going to be, for World Cup deals and TV deals and sponsorships, right? So, what the proposal that's being laid out is, accordingly, is the following. A every two years, so a biannual World Cup, which means you'd have World Cup qualifying, World Cup qualifying, World Cup qualifying. What's being left out of this proposal, and I'm going to scream about this again, because God help me if I don't need to fucking beat this into the men at the top of this table with a goddamn shovel at this point is the women's game. You have an entire generation of women's players, FIFA. In this scenario, where the fuck are they going to play? Like, just just humor me. Where, where, where the fuck do you put them? Because you, you've literally got, you've literally got men's World Cup. Then you've also got men's World Cup qualifying. Then you're also proposing that at the end of this tournament, there's a summer break where nobody plays any soccer at all. No club matches, no international matches. We just sit on our ass and do nothing. Also, also, you've got Euros, Gold Cup, fucking Copa America that you gotta squeeze in on top of, on top of the Club World Cup that you're so hell-bent on reworking that nobody knows what you're doing to it anymore. And if we can get all of that sorted, that leaves maybe one week every three years for the women that have a single tournament. Maybe if we're feeling spicy and we want to throw in some tit action like FIFA, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't I don't understand how we can feasibly 
entertain this as a real offer because as it is already, the women get shafted. And this is on every four-year cycle. And now you're trying to tell me that the answer to making the game more equitable for men is to play it literally every other year. I mean, if you if you're and mm, FIFA, you're killing me. You're killing me because some of us enjoy watching women's soccer and would appreciate it if you gave any type of a shit towards the women. It's just, and, and, and here's the kicker, right? Because you, you know damn well that if they move the men to an every other year cycle, the women aren't going to be far behind. So then what you're looking at is literally men's World Cup at the same time as women's World Cup qualifying. Then the following year, Women's World Cup at the same time as Men's World Cup qualifying. And the world sucks. And nobody values women's sports the way they should. So no one's going to watch it. And again, that doesn't even touch on the fact that your sponsors aren't going to care. People aren't going to give a shit. And if Brazil has like 87 World Cup championships in the next 20 years, I don't care about that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it loses its allure. There's no reason to fix what ain't broken? And if your entire look, if your entire argument is literally you want to make the game more equitable, there are ways to do that that make more sense. You know what you can do? And here's just a kicker. So hear me out because this is a real, real out there idea, FIFA. So you might, you might want to brace yourself. You can give them the fucking money you take in every year to help support growing the game. Literally in your charter, we did this with CONCACAF, in your charter, it literally states that your job is to provide money and help grow the game. You could Because look, playing games every other year in a World Cup cycle isn't going to help grow the game in those countries. They're still going to lose by 47 goals. But you know what would help? Giving them the facilities to grow their own domestic leagues. So yeah. I'm all for equity. Like I'm all for having equitable like soccer. That's what we want. We want that. That is good. Nobody's out here saying let's not have equitable games. Like everybody is in favor of that. What we are saying is you need to do it in such a way that makes any semblance of sense. Like and we're not even talking about where oh, we tweak it a little bit here, we tweak a little bit there. We got to, this is like so far out in the realm of wanting to make our own money that I can't even sit here without flailing my arms around like a inflatable spaghetti man because of how visibly upset I am. And with that, Darby, I will pass it to you because otherwise I will just go on and on and on. Well, it's I mean, you're you're absolutely not wrong. This this conversation is what equity looks like when you're really not talking about equity and you're talking about money. Like they were like equity, equity. That's, you know, they've got, they've got this big poster that says equity and they're hiding behind it with their calculators, trying to figure out how much fucking money they can make at it. Right. But, but it's about equity and, and you're absolutely right. It completely leaves uh, women out of the conversation and, and, and yeah, like, like this is what equity looks like when you're not worried about people without dicks. Right. And, and I'm not arguing at all. I mean, I would carry this rant on and we would just rant about it forever because ultimately that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Um, FIFA has got to 
what once again, just like I said, figure out, you know, what what's the real problem you're trying to solve? You want to make more money? This is not the answer. And and especially I find that trying to fly this answer under a flag of equity just it it downright pisses me off. It's disrespectful. Um and and they need to do better. Like soccer needs to do better. FIFA needs to do better generally every day, all day, but especially in this particular instance, um, keep my equitable values out of your mouth <laughs> when you're trying to fuck this up that bad. And here's, and here's like another wonderful little piece of information for FIFA. They're going to lose money. They're going to lose money on this. There are people. Sure. Okay. Like, look, here we go. Ready? Step one. Let's just say they do this. And let's just say by some ungodly, unforeseen act of miracle, the first one goes successfully. If you're doing a World Cup every two years, people are going to stop caring. You know what happens when people stop caring? Companies like Coca-Cola and like your big old oil company friends and fucking everybody, they don't care anymore because viewership goes down. You want to know why people spend so much money for World Cup sponsorship? It's literally because the amount of eyes on it once every four years are absolutely astronomically insane. But if it's every two years, no one's going to care. So the whole aspect of trying to make money by FIFA, you're going to lose money in the long term. You're literally going to lose it because no one's going to care. And look, I like to believe I'm a pretty level-headed man. You know, I like to believe that I don't scream very often. And I like to believe that I'm a fairly reasonable person. That being said, that being said, this deserves all the scorn that I'm giving to it and then some because this is the dumbest idea. Even by FIFA standards, this is incredibly stupid. Look, FIFA's done some real stupid things. I mean, these are the same people who are literally one sentence away from being indicted as like a criminal organization by the U.S. Department of Justice. Let's not forget that, okay? FIFA was almost listed as an international crime syndicate. I just want to make sure that doesn't ever get forgotten. So you'll have to excuse me if the guy and the girl and the, all of the non-binaries of me doesn't buy for a minute that FIFA is in this for equity. This sounds like somebody told FIFA, if we say some buzzwords, we can get away with anything we want. It's almost like they murdered somebody on live TV and we're like, equity! Like, that's that's how I feel we are with FIFA. Like, this is, this is where I believe we are at with FIFA because I just, I have no, no amount of give a shit left for these people. They're corrupt. They're bad. They don't believe in racism or sexism or homophobia unless it's positive for them. Then they definitely believe in sexism and racism and homophobia. So it's like, you know, look, I don't buy it. I don't think anybody else buys it. And it just makes no sense. Like even even in the scenario where they take a summer off, what happens to the women? Like I like nobody's talking about this point either. Every other reporter that's covering this is talking about all the other issues except for the big one to me, which is the women's game matters. <laughs> Like, I, I, I'm genuinely offended and pissed off that I have to keep screaming this from the hilltops. But, like, dude, 
Just because people don't have dicks doesn't mean their sports aren't important. Like I don't what what else can we do to get this point across? I don't understand. Women's sports are the fastest growing sports in the world right now, statistically proven, statistically showing that is the biggest area to improve and make money. If you actually want to talk about equity and you actually want to put your money where your mouth is, you would invest in growing the women's game across the entire world, not just in developed countries, but in countries where women can't necessarily always compete in sports. Let's go to Saudi Arabia and let's give them a women's national team. Then we can talk about fucking equity. Until then, the last thing I want to hear is something from Saudi Arabia telling me that we need to take the men's World Cup, double it, and tell the women to get fucked. Darby, what are your thoughts? I absolutely share those views. And and as long as we're shouting out women's soccer in countries where women's soccer is struggling, let's take a moment to send all of the light and love to the soccer team in Afghanistan. Like, you want to talk about a, a group of people that need to be constantly upheld and 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 constantly considered. Um, yeah, women's women's sports is important and and women's sports is absolutely in in peril for for all kinds of reasons all around the world. And it it even, you know, I, I will say we're speaking from a very privileged space, um, speaking from a country that our women's team is only getting screwed in in counting the millions of uh, profits that U.S. soccer is getting. Um, the women of, in Afghanistan are in a, a world of hurt and pain. And um, yeah, support them always um, and, and support them FIFA by promoting real equity in the game and not this performative uh, equity is capitalism bullshit that you're pulling. So this is a very personal issue for me because, you know, I I have roots in Israel, right? Um, and I I have always been pro two state solution, but that's not what we're going to get into here. My my the thing the reason this is a personal for me is having spent some time growing up in Israel, and having friends that are still over there, and friends that of mine that are still in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Iran, having worked in politics and worked on foreign policy. This is a very touchy subject for me because I get it. Like, I've seen it firsthand. So I don't buy when people who are privileged sitting out of the fucking chairs in Switzerland are telling me that they want equity. You don't want equity because I've seen it. I've been there. I've seen what your version of equity is. FIFA and your version of equity doesn't ever reach the people in Afghanistan, the people in Iran, the people in Saudi Arabia, the people in any of the countries in Africa. It doesn't ever get there. It gets into your pockets under the guise of equity. And that's why it's so personal for me because these games, when they happen every four years, they make a difference for those countries. So if this tanks, you know, the U.S., the U.K., the, the often welcome, they're not going to feel it. Okay, whatever, a couple less million. But a million dollars to America versus a million dollars to a place like Afghanistan, Iran, any of these countries is a big fucking difference. It's astronomically different. 
And even more so than that, you know, I've, <laughs> this is going to be a little, little personal. I've seen what happens when you take away the ability for a country to freely have women's sports. I've seen it firsthand. And what's going on in Afghanistan right now, like, we all should really be paying attention. We really, everybody needs to set aside their own personal whatever's for a minute and really just not listen to Fox or MSNBC, but really look at what's going on in Afghanistan with your own eyes and do your own research. Because what's going on there right now is nothing short of a, a human rights disaster, right? And the fact that we can even sit here and have this conversation just shows the, the privilege that we have living in a country like America, because there are people on the ground in Afghanistan right now fighting just to make it to the next 10 minutes, let alone the next soccer game. So when we talk about equity, when people like FIFA or UEFA or CONCACAF, and we bring up the word equity, don't feed me bullshit about equity and then not back it up. Because where were literally any of you when it came time to, to get people who were in danger in Afghanistan out? None of you showed up. In fact, it was dead silent. And it has still been dead silent. No statements, no call to action, nothing. So I just don't buy equity from these, from these confederations and from the governing body when push came to shove and equity was supposed to be there. It wasn't. Right. That's I, so. We're, last we're topic. Gonna, Go ahead. We're gonna call this the FIFA Do Better podcast. We're just we're gonna <laughs> apparently past switch the pitch altogether and just this is the FIFA Do Better podcast. I mean, we could make a lot of money doing a podcast where we just dunk on FIFA. I mean, I'd listen to it. But speaking of, you know, the last topic that I had to go over today, and it ties in the women's sports again. What do you know? Shocker. Um, our good friends over in Mexico, you know, they're they're having a rough go of it for uh, women's soccer. Um, but it just came out from the hill of all fucking news outlets, by the way. That's where we're at with women's soccer. The hill, notorious for their soccer coverage and politics, broke the story that Mexico's antitrust commission fined 17 soccer clubs in the Mexican Football Federation $9 million for, wait for it, conspiring to limit female players' salaries. It was reported that Mexico's Federal Economic Competition Commission um, says that after the league was formed in 2016, men's clubs worked together to create wage caps for players. I'm quoting here, the practice not only had a negative impact on their income, but also had the consequences of widening the gender pay gap. Uh, COFECE claimed that female players under the age of 17 were provided with nothing but educational and food assistance, no money, and that adult female soccer players had a monthly cap. I want to stress again, this is a monthly cap, not weekly, monthly cap of wages between $25 and $100, which later rose to a max monthly cap for wages of $750. I'm just going to take a brief second to pause here for a second. I just have dead air. 
Okay, you all have a moment to let that sink in? Because let me just say this one more time because I'm not sure we quite got there. $25 and $100 a month for professional women's soccer players that later rose to $750. Um, Some of Mexico's top teams, we're not going to name them, were named in the report. Um, And the fines weren't even fought. They, The clubs were just like, you know what? We fucked up. Our bad. We'll take the fine. Um, and it doesn't stop there because the player's ability to earn a higher wage or move to a different team also was blocked by the clubs. It was a gentleman's agreement between a federation and the clubs that were fine, basically saying that the club could block any player's movement and that the club could retain the rights of the player, even if they were tired. So Darby, what are your thoughts on that disaster? I mean, it's just, it's, it's not surprising. It's terrifying, but it really does just go to show that the women's game in, in many games, uh, we, yeah, we talk about soccer here. It's what we do, but all over the place in, in all kinds of places, it really is a function of keeping women in a place, keeping them in a, a position that you deem appropriate. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I have not looked at demographics of our readers, of our listeners, any of that stuff lately. Um, I would like to think that there are men that listen to this podcast. And I would just like to say that we need men to advocate and to be a voice because we cannot do it. We we are so terribly marginalized in so many different situations. We need all kinds of voices to stand up and and to call out bullshit. And thanks to the uh, Mexican organization, the Mexican Federation that that uh, that called this out and and spoke it out loud and to the Hill of all places for for making sure that it's a story because. It, it needs to be called out. It needs to be noticed. And um, and eventually, someday, hopefully, maybe, we will get to a point where we can do better. Yeah, for sure. And I will just double down on saying that, yeah, it, it, we, we need allies, right? Like, it's, it's cisgender men. This is your time to shine. I know you like making everything about you, so I will make it about you we need you to scream and shout and rant or whatever it is you do to get people to pay attention to women's sports. Because right now, the cisgender men that are in charge literally just backroom schemed, you know, mafia style to pay women under a grand a month to play professional soccer in a pretty developed soccer nation. This is not a small soccer nation we're talking about. That arguably, it, it, not even arguably, it's much bigger of a soccer nation than than the U.S. is. So, like, we need to we need to step up our game. Um, and with that, Darby, are there any articles you want to highlight on the website this this week while we have the chance before we sign off? Oh my gosh. Um... I have been so far behind on the website myself. I don't have anybody in my mind right now. I do know that we had um, stuff from, uh, oh, 
Oh, I just pulled it up. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that I forgot about this. So much from Montreal this week. Eve is always um, on top of everything and I love her so much. Um, yeah, definitely go and read about what's going on in um, Montreal because Montreal is um, bringing some drama off the pitch that uh, Eve covers in a really cool article. And I highly recommend that everybody go and check that one out for sure. All right. So with that in mind, Darby, why don't you read our traditional send off and we will be on our way here clocking in at an hour and 15 minutes. All right. Woohoo. So thanks for joining us on the Switch the Pitch podcast, the podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. Thanks to 123 Scream and Jana Pocop for our podcast anthem. Links to those websites will be in the show notes. You can send us an email at contact at switchthepitchsoccer.com. You can find our awesome photographer's work on our Instagram page at switchthepitch1.com. Uh, interact with us on Twitter, also at SwitchThePitch1. And our uh, articles are on the website, SwitchThePitchSoccer.com. And if you're a Facebooker, fb.me slash SwitchThePitchSoccer. We will talk to you again next time. All right. So we will see you all again next week. Stick around because we are going to do a deep dive into supporters culture in MLS. We are going to do an expose on that. So that's going to be a fun one. I've been quietly, Darby doesn't even know about this, collecting information over the last couple of weeks because we've got a lot of drama going on across the entire league with Green Street Hooligan-esque behaving douche canoes. So stick around because next week we are going to get into it. And then the following week, it's World Cup cycle time, which means the return of the... That's right. The return of the World Cup qualifying podcast, which means Vuvuzuelas as far as the eye and ear can he. So brace yourselves, brace your butts, and we'll see you next time. So have a good one, everybody.